Hi everybody, my name's Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. planted the educator to change more than test scores, but change young lives. What if he's planted you, the government official who wants to put the servant and the public back in public servant? And what if God has been preparing this great area to receive that seed? This valley is fertile, don't you know? Let us take this gospel out. Jesus has come to us. Let us take Jesus to the people. We are not done. God is not done. Oh no. He's just getting started. What if your wildest dreams came true? Think on that for a second. Let's just pause for a moment. Your wildest dreams. What's at the end of your what if? That thing that you long for, that uh, promotion, that outcome, that school, that education, that family, that reconciliation that opportunity, what if your wildest dreams came true? So we sit, we sit on the cusp of that as a community because we have a wildest dream. We really do. It it didn't start 70 years ago, but we were reminded of it 70 years ago. You see, our wildest dream is to infuse the hope of Christ into the most influential region in the world and that to see 10% of the homes in this city live for Christ with the same mind for justice and goodness, the same mind for love and forgiveness, the same mind for hope and joy. See, that dream, sometimes when I say I want to infuse the hope of Christ into the most influential region in the world, I think a few things. Number one, if you're like visiting from out of town, you're like, excuse me? Like, you just said what? Number two, how many of us walk around and go like, hi, I'm Carlos, I live in the most influential region in the world. It just sounds like a bragging way to start a conversation. But... I remind you that the gospel, the hope of Christ, was brought to the world in the most influential region there was, the empire of Rome. And it started as a small seed that was planted, started on a what if. And then, almost 70 years ago, in a small room in Burlingame, uh, a group gathered together and once again said, what's our wildest dream? What if we commit to establish a community of people that live for the peninsula? Well, this morning, this is the fourth gathering I've been part of, and I've been able to watch as I sit in front of about 800 adults. Did that small living room gathering of people know what they were talking about? Did they know what they were getting into? When they said, we want the church to matter to the city. You know, hope, um, hope's not something that we go after and we get. The hope we talk about, when we say hope, you can hope for things. We all hope for things. You can hope for a restoration in your life. You can hope for, you know, your parents to buy you a car. You can hope for so many things. But we know this, that anything we can hope for, even the best things, They all end. They're all temporary. It's the hope of Christ that sets itself up against those and goes, says this hope is eternal. It is beyond even death. So when we say hope, we mean around PCC that the path for your future would be certain because it is anchored 
in the character of God and his promises. The path for your future is certain because it's anchored. It is set in the stone that is God's character and God's promises, and it will last. And so today we're going to talk about hope, and over the next three weeks we're going to re-explore hope that moves as a a language and a conversation. Even, I I guess if I have to be fair, um, it feels a little practical sometimes, even though it's not. Like, how practical is hope? Um, it feels like a definition. Hey, folks, hope is God's character. It doesn't let you down. But the reality is hope works more like a song. It, it rises up and you hear it and your heart beats just a little faster. And you remember, for me, I remember, you know, about 23 years ago when I really began to experience the hope of Christ. And I remember that before that, before that, my life was different. And Jesus made my heart new, changed everything, transformed me, completely set the trajectory of my life, not only on a different path, but towards eternity. So when we say hope, I hope that you can feel something. I hope that you can remember when you encountered the love of God for the first time and maybe encounter it again. And I hope if you've never known, understood, or encountered the love of God, that you can sit back and listen and wonder and ask what ifs. And ultimately, if you reach the end of yourself, there'll be a place there where you'll discover that salvation, that hope, that our future comes only through Jesus Christ. And Gary's going to take us into the book of Acts today. And for the next three weeks, we're going to learn about boldness and what this looks like. But we're also going to hear stories from our community, from what hope is as it leads out into our city five days, six days, seven days a week. And today we have the executive director of our preschool, which has a long, amazing history of touching lives. And it's under new leadership and heading into a new day. Kelly's here with us. And we're going to get to hear from her what hope that moves looks like. But here's the deal. This room sits like 400 people, okay? And you're spread out. Um, If you all pack into a couple rows, that'd be amazing. But we want Kelly to get like a massive, overwhelming welcome. Uh, I would do it for you too, if you were coming up here, because like you're great, but standing up here looking out at you, it's like, oh, it's happening. So um, I'm a huge, I'm a huge America's Got Talent fan because it's the best show on television. And there's this thing called a golden buzzer, which Gary talked about a few weeks ago. When people win it, they go nuts. The crowd goes nuts. Golden confetti, confetti falls from the ceiling. So we're going to give Kelly like a golden buzzer moment without confetti, which means you have to just like let her know that you are so excited that she just won the golden buzzer, which is being the executive director of the preschool, right? Yes, you see what I'm talking about. So would you please welcome up Kelly Rhodes Valadez. Thank you very much. They love you. They love, clearly this crowd loves preschool. <laughs> All right. I was thinking about that as we walked into this. We were just down at Hudson and I'm like, preschool's a funny, it's a funny thing because we all went through some version of it once. And if we had kids, they went through it. But it's not really a thing you sit around your dinner table and you're like, I wonder what's happening in the world of preschool. Like, that's not really a conversation that we have. So I want to hear, I want you to change that. I want us to be like, what's happening at preschool this week? Now... I've been here almost 12 years, and I've known you that whole time. You and I used to serve together in student ministry. Uh, And then you left the community and went off into new adventures. So tell us a little bit about that and then why you came back. Awesome. So I first came to PCC as an intern in 03 and totally fell in love with this community. I made some of my 
dearest friends who continue to be part of my life. Um, but I really felt called to go to Mexico for mission work and left in 09 to do that. Signed up for a two-year commitment that turned into seven, got married down there, had a son. So as the years went by, I really thought, probably done with Redwood City. Grew up there. It was awesome, but I think I'm done. Um, my family felt led in March of 2016 to leave Mexico and make a transition back to California. And I married a Mexican man, Saul. He's the worship pastor down at Multisite. And we just knew coming back, we feel this great heart for the Latino community. We feel like our marriage is even symbolic of just bridging worlds. So um, anyhow, we landed in Sonoma County. Several months in, I thought we were going to be up there. I was teaching kindergarten. We're established. And we get calls from PCC saying they need a worship pastor and they need a preschool director. And I was just blown away at how God orchestrated these really perfect positions that align with our passions to come back here. So we landed here. And I started to learn about the vision for 2025. And it just stirred my heart so much. And I felt like as I got to know what the preschool is and does that this is where the vision is happening because we're inviting in the families that probably wouldn't be excited to come visit us on a Sunday, um, but who come with me on tours of our preschool and they'll ask questions about, well, what is this place about? What is the church part kind of of preschool? And um, they're open and they bring their children. Um, so we just met a couple weeks ago for our pre-enrollment conferences, which is meeting with our new families. Almost 50 new families came in and about 70% of them have no affiliation to a church or professing faith in Christ. So we get to be this first face of just welcoming them to this wider community, getting to know them and build trust. Um, and it's really a joy building relationships. So Lots of potential in yeah. preschool. I like how you just like return the favor and you're like, people who would never come here and do what you're doing, Carlos, they'll come to preschool. So thank you for that. Um, no yeah. Let's talk about what's, um, what's been happening. So there's been a lot of great movement, but then I want to go beyond that. I, I feel like I've heard from you. You didn't come to be the director of the preschool as it is, but you have a bigger dream about moving hope into the city. Yeah, so I love that PCC wants to break out from just Farm Hill and move into the city. And I feel like, like I said, um, just my experience having learned Spanish fluently and worked with Latino people, um, I know that our city is largely Latino and yet our church doesn't always reflect that. Um, but I long to see that and see kind of the world's bridge that I see in Redwood City. Um, so my heart would be, we have such an awesome preschool program here, just an amazing staff. Um, they really are sharing the love and hope of God, and it's beautiful to see and see some families' lives really affected by that. But there's so many more children in our community. So my heart would be to get down into those places in the community where maybe a family can't afford preschool or it's just not happening. Um, I've seen those children come into a kindergarten classroom where I taught and be at a disadvantage. So I dream that our church could be the one that bridges the gap, bring those families in, give their children what they need, and in that get to know their parents and really share God's love with them. So... That's the big dream. We need lots of people who have a heart for that. Um, 
but I really believe that God is doing something great and even the impossible in our midst here. So I love it. This picture, church, this picture of the impossible, that um, a preschool that has served here for you know three decades or more, uh, loving kids right here at 3560 Farm Hill, um, yet it sees a city that has thousands of children who are ready to go into school. And um, for me, one of the, the because I, I care about the illiteracy story of our city and that every kid would get a chance to read because we know how tied to lifetime success that is. Um, when I hear you talk, I go, you, you want to prepare these kids so that everybody enters school in the same foot, that the city has an equality across it, not just based on your, your, your post office box, the street you live on. So we want to pray for that. We want to ask God for location, places. Um, we dream of, um, I mean, I keep saying this for you, but not just one, but two, but three, but four, as many as it takes so every kid has it. Right? So that's the big ask. And those are the big asks that we've always wanted to lean into, um, that God would go ahead of us and create these spaces. And I'm trying to imagine, it's super easy to find preschool teachers, right? Not at all. Oh, okay. So, yeah, apparently there's some things we need to be praying for because Kelly's vision is our vision and this preschool is us. So we're going to pray for you right now. Uh, we do a thing here. If you're visiting with us uh, or, you never, or you've always wondered why we do this, we extend a hand forward when someone prays up front. It's just a way to say, like, I'm with you. Like, I, so if Kelly peeks while we're praying, she sees all these hands. Like, I'm with you, Kelly. We're praying for you. We're going to pray for her right now. So if you'd extend a hand forward, we're going to ask for this big dream to take place. Uh, God, this is the fourth time we've been able to talk about this. And uh, the fourth time we have uh, paused and lifted this up before you. By this, God, we mean preschool for the kids of this city. A bringing together of the communities of Redwood City. God, that every kid, regardless of their street address, would be loved, would be cared for. God, this, this means teachers, this means space, this means funding, this means affordability. These are all big asks. I thank you for the work you've done in the last year in bringing the preschool right here at Farm Hill to a full capacity. But I pray that uh, we would not settle, that we would put in our hearts that we will pray, we will talk about the preschool because we'll be asking you, Lord, to do something that we could never do so that our city could flourish, starting with our young children. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give them a big round of applause? Awesome. So encouraging. And that preschool's been around for 50 years, over 50 years, and that's amazing. Can you also give an America's Got Talent golden buzzer welcome to my sister who's here? Can you stand up, Chris? Love her. Awesome. She's got stories on me, so don't talk to her, okay? Um, grab your message notes, turn on your U version to, um, to find where we are, and we're going to jump into really a three-week uh, mini-series before we do our fall series on this vision, Hope That Moves. We're going to be in a book called Acts. Acts was written by a guy named Luke. He was actually commissioned to write the biography of a life of Jesus, and uh, he didn't stop there. He wrote the biography of the life of Jesus and then kept going talking about the early church, the Acts of the early church, which is actually the acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, so that's where we're going to be, okay? Uh, I've been reading a book called Marching Off the Map, and if you're a parent, I think it should be required reading. I've got uh, five daughters, but it's really required reading for my younger two, who are 16 and 9, because uh, the world they're growing up in is completely different, and at least in our 
life. Parenting our 22, 26, and, um, and 20 year old is completely different than parenting our 16 and 9 year old. And in the book Marching Off the Map, this follower of Jesus, it's not a parenting book, it's a, a sociology and featuring book, uh, but he's spot on to something. He talks about Alexander the Great. How many history majors or history people we have in here? He lived in the 4th century B.C., and as you probably know, Alexander the Great united Greece, but that wasn't enough for him, so he conquered the Persian Empire, moving east, and when he got to India, he literally got to the edge of the known world. But there was a lot of land ahead of him and a lot of people. And so at that point, Alexander the Great turned his army and took a portion of them and said, you are no longer soldiers, you are map makers. And so as we move forward, your job is to write where the rivers are. Your job is to capture the terrain. We're creating the maps as we're marching into the unknown world. He says literally, they mapped as they marched. They penned as they progressed. They were training as they were traveling. They had nothing else to leverage. It would have been useless to use the old maps because this was new territory. That, uh, that's, he says, where we live today. As I was reading that, I was thinking of our ministry and what we're trying to do in this city, not through multi-site, but through microsite, and not just as a church, but coming alongside with the preschool and the school's child care and the community center, who are, you're going to hear from each one of those in the coming weeks, who are actually enabling us to have face-to-face -face contact with people who wouldn't feel welcome or have a stereotype uh, barrier to coming into a Sunday morning, it's been very clear for me the last year or more, we're marching off the map. We're going to, all you Trekkies, boldly where no one has gone before, right? So I want to take you into one verse today to build a case for this, because it's going to take boldness. Our culture has changed so much, and I'm not trying to be extremist here, but so much that being tepid won't win the day anymore. Being tepid in your own character won't win the day anymore. It's like a current that is out of control, and you will float away like a dead fish unless you're bold in your swimming, and God wants to give us that boldness. So Acts chapter 4, one verse, but you never read the Bible out of context. Never, 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 never. Turn to someone and say, never, never. So I've got to build a case for this. Uh, in the book of Acts, it starts with Jesus. Uh, we're actually jumping in about uh, three and a half months after he rose from the dead. When he rose from the dead, uh, he was killed in Jerusalem. He rose from the dead in Jerusalem. He spent about 40 days with his closest followers, the men and women who had identified themselves as disciples. And then he took them to his favorite spot on the planet. Do you know what that is? Uh, the Mount of Olives. And he said to them, we're marching off the map. He said, I'm going to take the sect of Judaism. Christianity didn't start as Christianity. It started, actually, the word Christians used three times in the New Testament. was a derogatory term, never used by the insider group. It was always the outside group as a derogatory term called little Christs. Those are those little Christs. Uh, he said, uh, in the sect of Judaism, um, we're going to go to the whole world with this message. And he said, start here in Jerusalem and then go to Judea, which would be like the county or the state. Then go to Samaria, which would be a foreign culture. And then go to the edge of the earth. And then he starts levitating. And they're like, whoa, you think the Bible's boring? This is in the Bible, right? Read it in Acts chapter 1. And he goes all the way up into the clouds. And they're just sitting there going, what just happened? And angels appear. I'm like, what are you looking up here? Get after it. 
go for it. Go into the room and wait for what Jesus promised. So they go into the room. Holy Spirit comes down. That's Acts chapter 2. And they leave and they go into the streets and they are gospelizing. They just are overflowing uh, about this. And Christianity didn't start on the teachings of Jesus. As a matter of fact, uh, when Jesus died in the known world, they thought Christianity was over. His teachings didn't endure the cross. Christianity started on an event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they just couldn't stop. We'll see it today. They couldn't stop talking about this event. So as they're doing that, Peter and John are walking through Jerusalem, and they come across a guy who's holding a sign, cardboard sign, saying, I need money. I need help. And Peter and John say to them in Acts chapter 3, we don't have money, but what we have we'll give you. And he says they looked at him, something we can learn today in our 21st century. They validated that person. And they touched him and said, in the name of Jesus, get up. He hadn't walked for 40 years. Now think of that miracle. His muscles have atrophied and, and, and just a touch. Everything comes together. Ligaments, muscles, blood's flowing. And he gets up and he's walking again. Now not everyone was happy. In Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin, which was like the religious supreme court of the day, they had all the power, they had all the, um, all the judicial power, all the spiritual power, all the religious power, and they said, you know what, arrest them, because they hated two things. The Sanhedrin hated the resurrection, they didn't even believe in it, and the Sanhedrin hated Jesus. They were behind the crucifixion, and they couldn't stand the fact that people were saying he was alive again. So they arrest Peter and John, and a Sanhedrin trial happened all the time. We have a, a historical rendering of it. You can see it behind me. It was all about the power. Here, imagine this, the Supreme Court of the day. And here's these rural, rural followers of Jesus. I cannot overstate enough. I'd give you an example, but I'd offend somebody, right? How rural. It's like they came from Bakersfield. There, I said it, Okay. <laughs> And here they are in Washington, D.C. in front of the Supreme Court. Um, these Sanhedrin, to become a Sanhedrin, were trained in the religious law. They had to memorize in Hebrew the first five books of the Pentateuch. Right? Most of us can't even read those books, right? We give up. They memorized them. And they were trained and trained and trained. And now here's Peter and John from the rural area standing before them. And that's where we pick up the story, my friends. Acts chapter 4, verse 7. They say, by what name and by what authority do you do these things? By the way, a Sanhedrin trial most likely would end in one of three ways. Imprisonment, a beating, or death. They realize this going into it. And so they're saying, by what name, by what authority do you do these things? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm in Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Are you with me? You with me there? Okay. Um, in other words, this wasn't his power. It was the power of God in him. He said to them, now here comes the bold part. It's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Like, he could have just stopped there. But he doesn't. Whom you crucified. Oh my gosh. Now you've gone way too far. He should have stopped there. But he doesn't. Whom God raised from the dead. Remember, they didn't believe in resurrection. And here's, here's Peter that this man stands before you healed. And this verse, Acts 4.12, don't look at it like a proclamation. Look at it like a testimony. This is Peter testifying. And I want you to know, Acts 4.12 drives the leadership of this church almost more than any other verse. We really believe this verse is true. 
It's what gets us up in the morning. It's why we gave almost a million, more than a million dollars away last year off this campus to worldwide missions, including reaching unreached peoples who never heard about Jesus. Because we really believe what Peter testified to. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to man and women by which we must be saved. In essence, that's a statement of Peter saying, so do with me what you will. Imprison me, beat me, kill me. And they ended up doing that to him. Peter, uh, history tells us, died by crucifixion. Except he said, I'm not, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord. So they crucified him upside down. And the crime of Peter, aligning with Jesus. But initially, look at their response. We're going to read it together, Acts 4.13. Let's read this verse together, okay? Ready to use your voices? Here we go. The members of the council. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, yeah. Well, stop, 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 stop. Remind you, this is God's word, okay? Let's not read it like we're reading the newspaper. Or, I know I caught you off guard, okay? Here we go. Let's say it like we mean it. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who'd been as Jesus. In other words, they were marching off the map. And if we're going to march off the map, which God's calling us to do, um, it's going to take this. We are going to have to live into the identity of becoming bold, amazing idiots. Turn to someone and say, my prayer for you this year is that you would be a bold, amazing idiot. Do it. Okay. Now, before you write me the email on the idiot term, uh, by the end of our time, you can write Jesus the email because you'll see where that is in the word here, okay? Bold, amazing idiots. By the way, Acts 4.13 will be our theme verse for the whole year. So we would love it if you memorize that verse and just ricochet in your mind because our behavior comes out of our belief. We'll see that in a minute. Uh, how you behave comes out of what you believe. We see that with Peter. Let's just take these one in the few minutes I have left, the one word at a time, bold. Look what it says in Acts 4.13. The members of the council were amazed when they, what's, what's the next word? When they what? When they heard? Saw. I know when I talk about being bold, most of you think, and I tried to find uh, a megaphone to speak through, you're like, oh, great, Gigi. Are we going to stand on the corner with megaphones now? Are we going to get sandwich boards that say repent? I remember I was a youth pastor here, and there was a teenager that got really, he came to Christ, and, and God really did a work in him. And he's like, I, am, I'm, I want my whole campus to know. And we had a whole prayer, care, share, hang in there strategy. We'll introduce that actually next week when we talk about prayer. But this teenager said, I found a T-shirt. I'm going to bring it next week. I'm going to wear it on my campus. And the T-shirt said it had, um, it had a brain. And, and one was like a healthy-looking brain. It said, this is your brain. The other had um, fire. And it said, this is your brain in hell. And it said, any questions? And I was like, really? Really? Like, that's stupid Christian bold, okay? Do you, do you want to get your, I told him, his name's Rob, do you want to get your face punched in? Like, that is not the way to be bold, okay? I'm not talking that, because do you know in the Bible, that Bible word bold, when it talks about bold, you can see it here. It doesn't necessarily talk about what you say. 
And now listen, the gospel needs to be transmitted through words. Never in the Bible does anyone come to faith apart from words. But in our post-Christian pluralistic culture like the Bay Area, when we bifurcate words from a life, which we see all over the media these days, people just shake their heads at Christians and go, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. So actually, my application and boldness for the next three minutes that I have on this point, uh, and I mean this very meaningfully, take a week and don't say a word, but live boldly. Live boldly. Um, what do I mean by that, living boldly? How about being bold in love? Because here, let me just say this. I, I missed a crucial point. Remember when I mentioned the Sanhedrin, and you saw that picture of standing before the people of power? I want you to identify, and I'm sorry I missed saying this back then, but come back with me. Who are your Sanhedrin? What is your Sanhedrin? Our Sanhedrin are our Monday to Friday experience, walking into places where Jesus is not known and feeling intimidated by it. In front of people who have most of the power or have the power, where Jesus is mocked or Jesus is not known. I came out of PCC Hudson, or I actually high-fived all the middle schoolers leaving here. I was right in the doorway. You know what? Tomorrow morning, each one of them goes to a Sanhedrin experience called a middle school. Or the high schoolers go to a Sanhedrin experience called uh, high school. Or you go tomorrow morning to your place of employment, your work group, it's your, it's your street. Um, it's, I don't know what it is for you, but identify that. Okay? That's really important. Do you got it in your mind? Okay? Um, so back to boldness. What would it look like to be bold in love in your Sanhedrin? What would it be like? Now, this is a key one, Okay? I think if there's anywhere you start, start right here. Bold in purity. How about bold in generosity? How about bold in prayer? You know, every week we talk about a prayer meeting on this campus, and next week we'll talk about uh, prayer, but Wednesday night there's a prayer meeting. I'll tell you what, you walk into that prayer meeting, there are people asking God for this whole city. When's the last time you asked God for a whole city in prayer, to come to faith. How about bold with your time? You hear about a small groups fair and you go, I don't got time for that. Why not? Everyone's got the same amount of time. Why not march off the map of your normalcy and be an idiot and prioritize what those small groups are all about? How about bold in your discipleship, your hospitality? What if you had every Sunday a bold experience go, I'm going to serve on Sundays and I'm just going to look for the new people and I'm going to welcome them. Crossing a a cultural or socioeconomic or generational border. This week I was reminded of bold by um, an amazing woman. Her name is Sister uh, Christina. And you may not know Sister Christina, but she heads up what's called the St. Francis Center, which is in the eastern part of our city. Uh, Think of El Camino, Target's on your left. Behind Target is the St. Francis Center. Uh, Economically depressed area. And Sister Christina is trusting God that the kingdom of God would be established there. Uh, under her ministry, the St. Francis Center is buying up buildings and offering uh, people to live in apartments at below market rents. 
and they're building playgrounds. They built a whole gymnasium that, uh, he's not here, he's in PCC Hudson, that Roth, uh, who's the director of that, he's a PCCer, uh, and he runs a program for kids that empowers them and says to them, in essence, you don't have to go to an empty home, come here, and we will empower you and train you in Jesus' name. It's amazing. So this week, uh, I became aware that in Sister Christina's neighborhood, uh, the city was very bold and the county was very bold, and someone came to them to put a new coffee shop in. Uh, it's called Pink Panthers. Uh, they serve terrible coffee, and what they're serving is sex. They're hiring girls 18 years or older, putting them in bikinis or lingerie, and saying, you serve the coffee. How this is happening in our Me Too environment and where the objectification of women has just uh, certainly become politically incorrect, I have no idea. And why our county lets this happen, I have no idea. And of course they're going to put it down in the eastern part of our city where it's economically depressed because they feel like they don't have a voice. But they didn't estimate the bold woman that Sister Christina is. And so Sister Christina has said, you know what, not in my neighborhood. And on Friday night at 5.30, you'll hear more about this, you'll get an email, she is organizing a prayerful vigil march. They're not going to burn tires, they're not going to break windows. they got a greater power than that. They're tapping into the power of the Lord God Almighty. And they're marching around that, just like they did, it's biblical, in Jericho. And they're trusting that God would tear down the walls of that city, so that, I'm sorry, of that Pink Panthers, so it wouldn't even get built. That's bold. That's bold. Now, you don't have to organize a march to be bold, but what does it look like for you? These people, you notice, the Sanhedrin looked at them and said, oh my gosh, this is bold that those two rural guys who have no training would stand before us completely free, knowing they could face death and say, Jesus did it. They were blown away. Then, look at this, amazing Bold, amazing. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter or John. What causes amazement? Why is uh, Carlos, and I am too, my sister leaned over when he mentioned America's Got Talent. Why are we amazed by that? Why are tens of millions of people um, tuning in and, and their YouTube clips are just getting tens of millions of hits? Because amazement happens when our experience exceeds our expectations. That's amazing. You see that. Why today, the number one religion on Sundays in the fall, football. Why are hundreds of millions watching football? They want to be amazed. Because our everyday life isn't amazing enough. Got nothing greater to live for. And so they, I'm not dogging football. Like I'm a football fan too. But um, amazement happens when your experience exceeds your expectations. And here's my question. The Sanhedrin were amazed because they knew they could kill Peter and John. And they didn't care, these guys, Peter and John. They're like, this is amazing. Here's my question. Say it humbly. When was the last time someone was amazed by your life in Christ? They saw supernatural character that couldn't be traced to anything humanly speaking. And they said, amazing. That's what God wants for us. This whole vision rests on the fact that we're not a Sunday church, that God has arranged us to be a mission seven days a week 
And we're not the Farm Hill Covenant Church. We are the Peninsula Covenant Church. And God has given us crazy favor in this city. Uh, see that cross up there? Um, that was put in about 16 years ago. Uh, and before it was put in, it was laying in the back of the sanctuary there, and we, had a, we have a leadership team. I am accountable to a group of elders, if you will, leaders that um, lead this church, people like you, uh, appointed by you, that lead this church. And we had a devotional, and we wrote the names of people on the back of that cross that we wanted the gospel to make a difference in. And we wrote domains of, of places. Do you know every grammar school in Redwood City is written in the back of that cross? There's 12. We wrote them all down. And we prayed and, and, and asked God. And that's before we did any beautiful days, before we did anything. Um, today, through our community center, you're here in two weeks, um, we have a presence five days a week in 10 of the 12 grammar schools in Redwood City, five days a week teaching P.E., and then we hire someone like Kelly, who takes 50 years of great preschool and says, you know what, it's not enough that we're sold out. Uh, frankly, up here, we're working around every building on this campus. She says, I want to take the preschool off the campus, guess where, to the grammar schools in non-English. So it's not just the rich people that can afford preschool that get it. It's the people that can't afford it who need it. And then next week, you'll hear from uh, Victor, School is Child Care, who says, you know what, which, by the way, is sold out. We're turning people away. And he's going, this isn't enough. I want to take it off this campus, guess where? To the grammar schools, where the students meet. So there can actually be a day, by the way, our microsite uh, vision is built on the grammar schools. There could be a day where in the morning, parents are going to school, like Haas Community, where our first site is, dropping their kids off to preschool, and then throughout the day, they get PE taught by PCC. And because the parents are still working, they have school-age child care right there in the preschool through PCC. And then on Sunday, they worship at that same school in a micro-community that is PCC. And by the way, we have other principals who are coming to us right now. And we, we, just, we can't do it yet, but are saying, would you put a church in our school too? I'm just telling you, this is unprecedented. And all because, I think, a long time ago, some leadership team had the audacity to pray, give us the schools. I think all of heaven said, this is amazing. Let's answer that prayer. Let's answer that prayer. Bold, amazing, now i got to finish here, idiots. Look what it says. They could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. You know what the Greek word for ordinary is? This Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek. I'll teach you Greek. You want to learn Greek? Idiotes. Isn't that awesome? I mean, the, the NIV just went totally light here. It means unlearned, unschooled, ordinary. Uh, now, it's not, it's not the derogatory term, right? Our girls can't call each other idiots, but we can to each other now that we know this. Literally, the most literal translation of that is this. These guys were amazed, the Sanhedrin, and they couldn't believe the boldness of those idiots. Men and women, if the vision of PCC is going to move off this campus like it is, and I have not just 65 years of PCC history, I have 2,000 years of church history to back me up on this next statement. It's not advancing on the backs of the best and the brightest. Look, if you're the Peninsulite 
Peninsula person, you know, the entrepreneur, the best, the brightest. Uh, God can still use you, and he is. But God isn't limited to just the best and the brightest. He uses any idiot who's willing to offer himself to Jesus and say, use me. And that's how this church has advanced for 65 years. That's how our, the gospels advance, and that's the hope for the future. So there's the foundation. Bold, amazing idiots. What I want you to do this week is look at page three and pray through, God, how do you want to use my life in boldness? And I just listed some stuff. It'll be there for the next three weeks. I want you to consider, really strongly consider, joining a group, and I want you to pray with me like never before. We need open doors for God to uh, use us as we march off the map. Amen? And let me pray. God, we do give ourselves to you right now, new and afresh. This really isn't even about us. This is about you. And as we sing in a minute, oh, come to the altar. I'm stepping out of the prayer and I'm talking to you with your heads bowed. As we sing, come to the altar, what I want you to place at the altar, uh, it's the offering. I want you to place your life. I want you to place your Sanhedrin experience. A place you feel intimidated, but you know God has called you to, to bring hope to. I want you to place this city on the altar and ask God that the shalom of heaven would rest in the city because the people of God are here for the whole city, not just a portion. Do it, Lord. Help us to believe, even as we're sitting in this and the accuser's voice says, you, you don't qualify. Help us to believe you're looking for bold, amazing idiots to march off the map. I pray this in Christ's name. Everyone said... Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.